to bring a word after something as spectacular as that seems redundant, but I'm going to give it a shot. The second scripture reading for today is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. If you'd like, you can read along in your pew Bibles at page 105. Listen now for the word of the Lord. I don't pray for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all may be one, as you, Abba, are in me and I in you. I pray that they may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you loved them as you loved me. Abba, I ask that those you gave me may be here with me so they can see this glory of mine, which is your gift to me because of the love you had for me before the foundation of the world. Righteous one, the world hasn't known you, but I have, and these people know that you sent me. To them I have revealed your name, and I will continue to reveal it, so that the love you have for me may live in them just as I may live in them. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. In the 15th chapter of um, John, Jesus tells his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Earlier in the 13th chapter, he washed their feet to demonstrate the servant love they were to enact with others. And now, here in the 17th chapter, Jesus prays not only for the disciples in his midst, but for those who will come after, including us. Over and over again, especially in the Gospel according to John, Jesus is reminding all who will hear that he is the way, and the way is love. Love as a concept seems pretty easy. We can find love in the fellowship of families and people we live with, in friendships, in communities of faith, groups of interest, sometimes even in the workplace. 
We can heart photos on Instagram or love them on Facebook. And we can send kissy or heart-eyed emoji text messages. Feeling love and expressing it can be instantaneous, inspiring, and profound. And yet, a lack of love, a twisting of it, or a heart rooted in fear or hatred can also cause instantaneous and profound results. Just over two weeks ago in Buffalo, New York, an 18-year-old shooter intentionally sought out and killed 10 black people as they were doing their grocery shopping. The shooter had been there the day before, watching, paying attention, preparing to kill. The next day, a shooter in Southern California targeting people who are Taiwanese went into a church and killed one person, injuring several more. And then just five days ago, another 18-year-old went to Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, and shot and killed 19 children and two teachers. There have been more than 200 mass shootings in America only 129 days into 2022. Now, where we all know this is not a new problem. After all, many of us said never again after 20 young children were shot and killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December of 2012. We seemed to believe that because the most innocent among us were involved, we'd find the will as a nation, as a human race, to do better. I'll be honest, friends, my hope is failing. You probably don't know me well enough to know this about me, but my factory setting is one of remaining hopeful, despite studying the bare facts. And vocationally, I have seen it as my responsibility to be a light bearer, even when the night is thick with darkness. And while I am trying, I am finding it hard to access hope right now. Our society seems to be entrenched along party lines, and we seem to have stopped listening to one another. We seem to have concluded that difference of opinions gives us fair call to stop engaging in basic respect. My hope is failing, and instead I'm experiencing anger that feels big enough to eat me up. And while I know that there are biblical examples of the righteous anger that turns tables over in times of injustice such as these, I also know that if we aren't careful, anger can quickly turn to bitterness. And that just leads to extinguishing the flames of hope. And then we just find ourselves lost and afraid. What then are we to do? 
Some time ago, I was worshiping in a small church far from here, and I observed that there was a church member that seemed to be an annoyance to pretty much everyone there. He did not seem to read social cues very well, and as a result, talked on and on, even as people's eyes glazed over. He didn't seem to have a good sense of spatial intelligence. So I saw him stand in the way as people tried to move past, frustrated by his inability to recognize that he was obstructing the flow of traffic. He proudly told me that he had been baptized in that church, raised in that church, and considered it his family. He lived alone, his parents had died, and he had never started a family of his own. A few months after that initial meeting, I went back to the church for worship. I arrived early and heard people discussing a funeral that had been held in the church earlier in that week. They felt good about the turnout, and the flowers, music, and food had been lovely. As I sat in the back pew, listening to people banter before worship began, a woman I'd spoken to in the past approached me. We had a funeral here this week, she said. Then her face shifted a bit, and she said, in fact, you probably remember him, this being a small church and he being rather hard to miss. It turns out the funeral the church folks were speaking about had been for the church member who talked too much and lacked ability to read social cues. The woman who shared this with me went on to say, we were worried there wouldn't be a very big turnout because most of his family is gone and he didn't have many friends. But it turns out he was also very active in the Baptist church in town. He worshiped here on Sunday mornings and there on Sunday and Wednesday evenings. And they were very, very fond of him. They gave him an honorary doctorate and at the funeral talked about how funny he was and how deeply his presence would be missed. She paused for a moment and then a bit teary said, it turns out that the Baptists had figured out a way to truly love him in a way we were never able. I have some strong opinions about the importance of stricter gun laws in our country. And I'll do all that I can to communicate those with those who represent me in Congress. But frankly, it's, that's not what's helping me rebuild my sense of hope that feels utterly broken right now. The Frank Capra film, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, is probably the closest I will ever get to regaining hope in the political process, if I'm honest. But the place that I can reconstruct my sense of hope about this battered and bruised world 
is in the story I just told. There is absolutely no question that we sometimes fail people in giving them the love they need, like the church I just spoke about. But if we are paying attention, there is absolutely no question that we can always be inspired by the power of love we see demonstrated in the most surprising circumstances. Love is a practice, not just a feeling. And when we stay grounded in the love Jesus showed us, our actions are kinder, more inclusive, more just. Jesus was no stranger to a society that had lost its way. He was no stranger at all to violence. And shortly after praying for his disciples and all his followers to come, he himself was a victim of extreme violence upon a cross that led to his death. He knew very well that the world had capacity to hurt and maim and kill. And that's exactly why I believe he entered it, vulnerable and innocent as only a newborn baby can be. He came, I believe, not necessarily to bring a new religion, but to help people rethink the way they were living with an old one. He knew that the world and the people in it needed love more than anything, the kind of love that can mend brokenness, the kind of love that can bring a sense of community and unity to people who have been divided along religious or political lines, the kind of love that only he could bring. And he prayed that we would access that love, that we would seek it out, and that it would heal us, that we might be so nourished by his unique love that we would share it with others in only ways that we can bring. As studiers of God, we are also lovers of God, lovers of people and believers that Jesus commanded the disciples to love one another, that he prayed that the love that was in him through God be shared with us and through us for the purpose that we may all be one. Based upon Jesus' ministry, I think we can extrapolate this to understand that he isn't talking about heart emojis or some sort of catchphrase, but rather a love muscular and robust enough to change the way things are, a love powerful enough to reshape and renew us not in the images we see around us, but in the very image of the God who calls us into being. A love broad and wide enough that no one gets left out of it, even and maybe especially those who talk too much and don't pick up on social cues. A love solid enough to stand firm amid conflict and myriad opinions. And a love gracious enough to listen across difference, a love luminous enough to lead the way and help us find our paths back to the hope we've lost. 
The passage we read this morning ends with Jesus speaking these words in prayer. I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He prayed for all of us before we even walked this earth. And surely he knew that the only way we'd make it through the world together would be with God's love at work in us and among us. Not a sentimental love concerned with flowery words, but a love both broad and deep, rooted in a commitment to easing suffering. Not a set-it-and-forget-it kind of love, but one that requires intention in whatever context we find ourselves. Whether we are helping someone who is hurt, walking into a voting booth, interacting with an hourly service worker making minimum wage, driving in heavy traffic, sitting in a waiting room with a stranger who keeps talking when we just want to read our book, talking through something tender and fraught with a loved one, responding to someone who feels lost and alone, caring for a kid whose behavior is taxing our patients, lactating folks sharing breast milk with others during a formula shortage, working on a group assignment in a class, waiting for a delayed flight during a long day of travel, or any number of real-life scenarios. That's when our love is most important, because it is in action that love shows what it's made of. Love is a gift from God, but that doesn't mean much unless we share it in concrete ways that leave an obvious mark in the lives of others in the day-to-day -day realities of ordinary life. Love shows up in sneaky, sneaky ways. The summer after my first year of college, I moved back home and jobs were hard to find. I finally landed one at the chain restaurant Chi Chi's as a hostess. I genuinely think it is the only job of many that I've had that I despised. It required a level of mediation skills that I hadn't quite anticipated and certainly hadn't yet acquired, and I dreaded every single shift. Knowing this, one evening my parents came into the crowded restaurant for dinner and approached the hostess stand with big smiles on their faces. If you can believe it, my snotty reaction was, why are you here? I think I was a little embarrassed, but I was also surprised. My dad ate like the Scottish immigrant he was, loving bland meat and potatoes, and he pretty much avoided anything with even a hint of spice. A few days later, I had the realization that my parents coming in for dinner was actually love in action.
Love that did what it could to make sure I knew I was supported and held. Love that did something uncomfortable while centering someone else. Love that cho chose a bold movement that could not be missed. As soon as I realized all of this, I felt deep shame. And even in that shame, I was met with a gracious love that I certainly did not deserve. But that's love, tough, resilient, and anything but passive. A love God calls us to bring to every interaction, relationship, role, and sphere of influence of which we are part. The theologian and church musician, Dr. Don Saliers, once said, love is a fire, but it also has to take out the garbage. Let's find ways together to celebrate how the light of love burns bright, while also getting something just and profound done in this beautiful, broken world of ours. Following Jesus, the way, whose way is love. This is the way of hope. This is the way of love. Amen.